The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Twisted Blue LLC presents Brutal Nation, a podcast dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of crime. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, Tammy Underwood. And Tam Tam, today is your day to present. Today's my day. Hi, guys. And once again, and let me tell you how just utterly messed up Tammy is. She gives me little bits and pieces of what she researches. Yeah. Just enough to make me hungry for more. Hungry. "Mm, Give me more. No, I can't give you more. You got to wait. Yep. It's cold blooded, man. It is cold blooded. Pretty fucked up. Cold blooded. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, so what you got? Um, this is for our fetish Friday. Woohoo! I know these are the these are the ones that I kind of dread, but I kind of look forward to too. Whip me, beat me, make me bleed. Yeah, Kinky only because sex is all I need. Yeah, exactly. Only because I, you know, is and like fascinated by serial killers i am it's just like ah i got no more <laughs> anyway so this guy is charles albright aka the eyeball killer mm-hmm. yeah eyeball killer. yeah now this one here um and we'll get into it a little bit later but at the end it i have a question for you and sweet i love yeah. questions yeah so i'm gonna start this with our quote and it says the face is the mirror of the mind and eyes without speaking confess the secrets of the heart oh, by wow. Saint Jerome. I've never actually heard that one. No. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, it was. It was really weird because I was looking for a quote to fit this one, and all of them were about beauty and all this other <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't think that'll work. Um. So, anyways, Charles Frederick, Frederick Albright was born on August 10th of 1933 in Amarillo, Texas. Um. But he was. He w- when he was three weeks old, he was adopted by Fred and Del Albright. Oh, okay, so adop- yeah. adopted so baby. Yeah, so That's he was good. an adopted baby. Um, and Fred was a Dallas grocer, and they lived in a middle class neighborhood of Oak Cliff in Dallas. Um, reports say that as Charles got older, uh, Del would tell him that his birth mother was a sixteen-year-old law student who had secretly married and gotten pregnant when her father heard about the marriage. And, no, gotten pregnant. And when her father heard about the marriage and the baby, he became irate, demanding she get an annulment and give the baby up for adoption. And if she didn't, she would be cut off from the family. Which made no sense oh. to me, because how are yeah, you 16 what? and a brilliant law student? Yeah, I'm kind of lost at that one. Yeah. Myself. So I was just like, that made no sense. She's like the, maybe she's a Doogie Hazard of law. Maybe, possibly. Anything's possible, right? But you'll kind of get more later. But yeah, that I just had to throw that in there. Apparently, Dell coddled young Charles, but sometimes her parenting went to extremes as well. As a small child, she would actually occasionally dress him in girls' clothing. Ooh. And there's pictures, so I'll have those on our webpage. And give him a doll to play with. She would change his clothes multiple times a day to keep him clean and from getting dirty. And her discipline style was even more bizarre. It said that to get him to avoid even a minimal amount of contact with dog feces, 
She would take him to the local hospital and show him polio patients that were locked in the iron lungs. Gee, many Christmas. And tell him that they they were like that because they touched dog feces and con- contracted polio. And if he didn't want it, he better not touch it. Holy cow. Yeah. How about extreme? Yeah. And before he was one year old, she, he chewed on her measuring tape that she kept in her sewing basket. So she locked him in a dark room to punish him. So already, here's what I, what's going through my head with the yeah. dressing him up as a as a girl at a young age and things like that. You're not really giving him a chance to discover. It's the 30s. It's the 30s, so people weren't, you know, if you're a guy, you were a guy. We didn't have transgender stuff. No. But it maybe he would have grown up to have gay tendencies or you know, you're, maybe you're, you're not letting him really become who he's going to become. Yeah. You won't let him develop. You're he's basically he sounds to me just no more to them or more no more to her than uh, that address. Yeah. Dress yeah. Up doll. That's what I was thinking, too. It also says that if he wouldn't nap, she would tie him to the bed. And when he wouldn't drink his milk, she'd spank him. But get this. She thought goat's milk was better for him, so she went and got a couple goats and had them in her backyard so that she could milk the goats every day and give them goat's milk. You know you got to pay extra for that in Thailand, right? They were in Dallas. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Maybe I pay extra for that in Dallas. I don't know. Right. So later in life, Albright often said how much he appreciated how she taught him his manners. She taught him to always speak respectfully about people or not to say anything at all. Good, good, good. Which is good. She taught him to always be considerate of women, especially in regards to sex. And then she would lecture him about his father's, quote, unquote, greedy sexual acts as he's young, telling him in detail how whenever his dad saw her in the bedroom in just her bra and panties, he would try to grab her. And she was going to make damn sure he never treated any acted that way towards his female friends. As he got older and began dating, she insisted on on accompanying them on dates as a chaperone. And prior to the date, she would actually call the girl's parents to assure them that her son wouldn't do anything perverse. No, Mom. This isn't (laughs) awkward at all. This is normal. Sure. Yeah, he would later say that she drove with her eyes on the rearview mirror. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Um, He said that he didn't feel she was overprotective. I'm... She is classic helicopter right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He said that she didn't feel he didn't feel she was overprotective. She just wanted him to succeed. She's hovering over him every fucking second yeah. of the day. Like he just she just wants me to be successful. Um, apparently, she would make him practice his piano lessons for 30 minutes or more before school every day. And she taught him math, reading, and writing so early that he was able to advance two grades in elementary school. Sweet. Now, I, I'm going to defend her on it, yeah, on the music part of it. Because if he had a natural um, talent right. to be a great pianist, well, yeah, you need to practice. You and I talked about this before um, on a different podcast. Is normally, I practice from one to up to five, six hours Every single day. You do. With the exception, like, I mean, if I've got the flu really bad, uh, you know. Then the it's man like, flu? No, the real flu. I, I, I'm one of the few guys, I don't get the man flu. I just, when I get sick, I'm like, fuck it, just leave me alone. Let me curl up and die. But, I, you know, so if, he's, if he had the proclivity to be a, uh, a great piano player and, right. or a great composer, I know if it was one of my kids, I would want to nurture that. Be like, okay, come on. Before school, you know, practice scales. You know, right. do do something to, to help you progress. Because, right. Uh, backing that up with positive reinforcement, of course, going, you're, 
you have the potential to be a great musician. Right. You know, and you're doing great, so let's just keep practicing. Right. But if he didn't have that natural skill. And she just skill, forced it on him. Right. If he's slamming the keys and it sounds like cats being molested with a cheese grater in a blender. Ow. You know. Yeah. You know, maybe that's pretty messed up. Yeah. You know, exactly. maybe that's one of those things like, Mom, you better just back the fuck off. Yeah. Not let him beat the shit out of the piano. Let him go to school and maybe get a little bit of dirt on him. Yeah, exactly. Let the kid get dirty. God made dirt and dirt don't hurt. Right. I ate dirt as a kid. Come on. <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, so at the age of 11, she introduced him to taxidermy. She enrolled him in a mail order program, and he set to practice on some dead birds. I'm sorry. How old was he? 11. Okay. I thought, I thought that's what you said, but yeah, it escaped my brain. And she was by his side guiding him the whole way. She showed him exactly how to use all the tools. How to cut the skull with the knife, how to scoop out the brains with a little spoon, how to cut the eyes away from the sockets with a scalpel, how to pull out the eyes with forceps, and she even skinned the first bird for him to show him how not how to not cut too deep. Gee. Grooming him, maybe? I don't know. Once again, I'm 50-50 because if it was... And, and, and hear me out on this. If it was a... A family business. Let's let, let, let's okay. say that let, let's say that they were morticians. Okay. Just for argument's sake, and at a young age, you know, your kid is already in used to the embalming tables and everything like that. Right. Eleven years old, and you're you know the desires to pass this business on to your child. Right. Then maybe you they get to escort you into work and you're showing them kind of the ropes. Okay. However, if your dad's a grocer. And your mom's a stay-at-home mommy. And taxidermy doesn't come into play here. And it's not like, by the way, dad not only sells apples and oranges, but he's cutting apart animals and, you know, and yeah. stuffing them and sending them to clients. See, that's, that's I what, mean, that's a why would you want thing. to introduce that to an 11-year-old child out of the blue? Right. I can, I can see where that can possibly have some PTSD implications. Um yeah, well, you'll you'll find out but, a little bit more in a little bit, but yeah. And I can see why he probably went along with it, because... He wanted to please her. Yeah, he wanted to please his mom. He loved his mom. Yeah. It sounds to me like, at least so far, like she can't do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, and uh, honestly, at 11 years old, do you think your parents are really super wrong? No, not yet. 13. Yeah. 13 yeah. is when they become horribly wrong at everything. No, exactly. <laughs> when, when you're a teenager, it's they like know your parents nothing. don't know crap. You <laughs> yeah. Know? But uh, but yeah, so at eleven though, with with the situation that he's in, uh, yeah, it's just this is more and more bizarre. Yeah, so I'm off my soapbox. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Because apparently he would spend hours honing this craft. He would stuff them and mount them, making sure they looked as lifelike as possible. And he would get one, each one ready for the final finishing touch: the eyes. He would often visit the local taxidermy shop and just marvel at the boxes and boxes of fake eyes and dream about collecting them like other children would collect marbles. I guess I don't see anything wrong with that. And let me tell you why. Because they're they're bright, they're shiny. Yes. They're, you know, it's like well, just like I said, like marbles. Yeah, and he did say that I mean it went on to say that he loved how they would just glimmer in the light. You know, how right. you'd look at them a certain way and they just catch the light and glimmer, which I can understand that. I mean, that is why 
I like looking at people's eyes sometimes, you know, just to see that, you know, like, for instance, when you're joking around, I like to look in your eyes because I can see that spark of, like, you know, <laughs> mischievous there, you know. So, but Dell would never let him buy any. She always said they cost too much. Even though they weren't poor, she made it, I mean, she would go get scraps from the local butcher and stuff like that because she, I don't know, it was like she was afraid to spend money. Maybe she was just really thrifty. That could have been too. You know, uh, maybe she's like me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm yeah, not exactly, do. I'm not exactly poor, but. He shops at Walmart. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. Oh. I'm not going out and I'm not like, you know, going out to like Saks Fifth Avenue and, and buying a million dollars worth of clothes and shit like that. Yeah. You know, true. Uh, this is true. Um, but anyway, so she wouldn't let him get it. She said that there was a cheaper way. So she would take him um, to her sewing kit and select something that would work instead. And then the, when they were complete, she would proudly display these birds in the china cabinet at the front of the house. So everybody who came to the house could peer in at them and they would marvel at how, you know, how wonderful and beautiful these little birds were. Um, but the birds would stare back at them blindly because their eyes weren't shiny. They were just little black buttons sewn in. Yeah, they were saying your kid's hella creepy woman. <laughs> yeah. Get a hold of your creepy ass kid. Precisely. So and then he ended up then, you know, he graduates from high school early, of course, because, you know, he skipped a couple grades and then he went to he ended up going to Arkansas State Teachers College in Conway, Arkansas, where it wasn't long before he was one of the most popular students. He was involved in many school activities. Um, and when he went in to sign up for um, his art class, the art, the art perfect instructor was so fascinated by his appearance that he appointed him as the class model. Oh, wow. He's a very good-looking man. Dang. Yeah. Go for it, Charlie Albright. Chicka, wow, wow. Right? He's still a creepy-ass kid, though. So Yeah, kind of. Like a very big fucking... mama's boy. Right, but creep, that's just yeah. creepy. So on top of his popularity, he was also known to be an all-American frat boy and a world-class prankster. Um, There was... Uh, where is it? Um... Oh, he had gotten into some trouble back in Dallas before he went to school. And he was actually kind of famous in that area. He was 15 years old when he graduated, and he was somewhat of a celebrity because at 14, his parents purchased a plot of land and gave it to him. So he went and sold it for a profit and bought more land. Well, wait a minute. With it. We just answered a question that you asked. How can he be a 16-year-old star law student, like what his dad was saying that his real mom was? Yeah, his mom was saying that his real mom was, yeah. Yeah, or yeah, his mom. Uh, he graduated high school at 15, so it's plausible. Wow. That could be. I mean, I mean, it's... Yeah, but he also had a reputation for causing mischief. Um, he, he was reported to once quote-unquote, accidentally, or on purpose, set fire to his chemistry teacher's dress. He also, unbeknownst to his mother, because he forged documents that showed otherwise, he failed a few classes because studying for them was just too boring for him. In reality, he was all, all of these were inconsequential things, as he would explain later. He did them in an attempt to impress the older kids. No, that actually makes sense. See. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, so apparently... Um, but there were other things as well that he doesn't really talk about because 
if he doesn't talk about it, perhaps it didn't really happen. No, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, 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 I want to say dysplasia, but that's not it. It's, it's uh, disassociation. Yeah, that's yeah. It. So, for instance, once he got caught breaking into a local church, and another time he was caught breaking into a store and stealing a watch. Since he wasn't, he since he won't talk about it, nobody really knows why he did these these things. But some have speculated it was an act of rebellion against his mother um, for keeping such a close watch over him. And get this, when he went to court for this, she said, let me go to jail for him instead. Well, that's not unprecedented. Uh, Do you remember the kid who got caned in Thailand? Yes. His father said the same thing. Just send him home and I'll take the caning for him. And that is bad parenting. Man, that kid messed up cars yeah. that people bust their ass to buy, mm-hmm. you know, and was just being a little dick. Cane him. That's what I, I say. That one. But, yeah, I say, I'll take the punishment for my kid. What the hell is your kid going to learn? Like, for real. Yeah. But you know what kind of makes me wonder? Yeah. With everything that you said about the mom so far. She's kind of weird. If there's any maybe inappropriate touching going on or something like See, that. See, and there's nothing that has ever said that. Because that, I, with what you're giving me, it almost sounds. Yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. It yeah. sounds, and granted, that's more predominant in, in guys to their daughters. But it does happen. But it does happen vice versa as Yeah, well. it does. And that's why it kind of, it raised a big red flag for me sitting there going, oh, I see. Maybe yeah. he, there's a mama's boy and then there's a. Mama's boy. boy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So him going to this Arkansas State Teachers College was his chance at a fresh start. But and while he was there, he began dating this girl, Betty Hessler. She was an English major and he even made plans to marry her. He excelled in some of his classes without even trying. And um, he got it. He carried an A in his human anatomy course. Well, of course. Yeah. It's right up his alley. Word on campus that was that he was going places. He had aspirations of going to medical school and becoming a surgeon, but he never stopped being the class clown. He even pulled one of the most epic pranks on one of his friends. Now get this. I didn't write it down, but I remember what it said. He, his friend, had just broken up with this girl. They had a very kind of bad breakup. So this guy took all of her pictures, threw them away. Okay? Soon after that, he started dating this other girl. Well, when he started looking at the pictures he had of this other girl, he noticed that the eyes were wrong. They were the eyes of his ex-girlfriend. That's Jack, Charles had gone, Albright had gone in and taken all those pictures and cut out the eyes to save for a later time and then superimposed them on the new pictures. What a creepy little fucker, man. Fucking disgusting. Uh, That's not as disgusting as is creepy. Yeah. The story about his prank became well-known around the school. And in retrospect, when everything happened, not one of his fellow students even still found it creepy. They just referred to it as one of his classic pranks because nobody was as inventive as he was when it came to them. Oh, yeah. Inventive. That's what I'm thinking right here. Yeah. Creepy, now, creepy ass Yeah, so now kid. we're going to fast forward to age 36. Um, he was teaching science at a high school in Crandall, which is a town just east of Dallas. And the principal there was thrilled to have him because according to his college records, he had a master's degree in biology from East Texas State University and was in the process of working on another master's in in counseling and guidance. And the records also stated he was about to enter their their PhD program in biology. Okay. Okay. His students found him completely fascinating. 
He was utterly brilliant in their minds because he could recite an impeccable, flawless Latin, the scientific name for every plant he came across. And he would break open like rotten logs and, you know, okay. break a piece of rotten log apart and talk about each and every insect he saw inside. And he even helped coach the high school football team. Add that to the fact that he drove a green Corvette and wore lizard skin shoes, and the young female students were practically swooning over him. I can totally see it. This is the, your all-American guy. Yeah, he's around very all-American. Yeah, you know, very good-looking. He drives a vet. He's yeah. smart. He's talented. Everybody likes him. You know, uh, it, it comes down to what I've said before: is everybody wants to blow the cool kids. That's true. That's just the only way to put it. You and know, apparently the cool teacher too. Yeah, and the cool teacher. Yeah. Kind of like the song, got it bad, got it bad, got it bad. I'm hot for teacher. I'm hot for teacher. For, uh, That's funny. I don't feel tardy. <laughs> I love that part. Yeah. Funny. I don't feel tardy. <laughs> yeah. But check this out. With all of these abilities, not one of them would ever have guessed, including the principal, that this bright young teacher was a fraud. Oh. You didn't catch it, did you? I, I caught I caught the, I, I thought maybe he went back to school and you didn't talk about okay. it or something yeah. like well, that. How were they supposed to know? He forged all those documents that touted his accomplishments. Every last bit of it was fake. He Holy shit. snuck into three different offices at East Texas, collected all the necessary forms, copied them, adding his name before he forged the signatures and put them back in the files. Wait. He even had the forethought to steal the registrar's typewriter so all the typeface would match. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, he's not stupid. He's not stupid. No. And he thinks things out. So I, yeah. I kind of admire that. Yeah. And the real kicker is he almost got away with it. It just so if it happened. wasn't for those pesky kids and that <laughs> yeah. dog? No. There was I mean, one what? administrator at the university that realized his name, the name Charles Albright was always showing up on the list of graduates, but he had never met him. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So when he was confronted, all he did was grin before he admitted to everything. He said he had to bend the rules in order, a tad in order to get a teaching job because he figured. That's a tad, huh? Yeah. He figured that after he quit Arkansas State, he wouldn't get another chance to prove how smart he was. Wait. Did I say quit Arkansas State? Yeah. I'm a little. Uh, okay. No, he was kicked out for getting caught with suitcases full of stolen property. Jamie yeah, which Christmas. included his coach's golf clubs. I mean, he just wanted to go play golf, man. Yeah. You can't fault him for that. Yeah, but since he had already married his high school sweet, I mean, his college sweetheart, and they had their first daughter, he didn't have time to start his college career from the beginning, so he just forged it. So he never went to college at all, or what? No, he didn't. He did go to Arkansas State, te- okay, teacher's college, but he never graduated. Up. He got kicked oh. out. So he's never had a degree. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Scooby do that shit, man. Yeah. But c- according to administrator at East Texas, since he seemed like a sincere, repentant young man, and the forgery was technically a victimless crime. Oh, get they the kept, fuck yeah, out. Yeah, they really? kept the scandal out of the press. And they didn't want to embarrass themselves. It would be embarrassing for them as well. He just simply pled guilty the f- to the fraud and was only given one year of probation, and nobody in his neighborhood even knew what happened. They just saw him as a happy-go-lucky guy who could do anything but didn't care care about or want to settle in a 9-to-5 job. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah. God dang, well, man. And check this out. I mean, it goes on. I mean, what cracks me up here, not cracks me up, but floors me, is he had money from his parents. Right. And his wife was a high school English teacher. So he was free to do 
flit around from project to project and rarely held down a job for more than three months at a time. Sound familiar? Very. Yeah. Kind of sounds like Pan's Ram, doesn't it? A little bit. While you're talking, i got to put my thinking cap on because you're giving me a lot of information. Okay. Oh, dear God, no. He's putting on the... An alligator hat I gave him. I love the alligator It's too hat. hot for that. I call it my thinking cap. You want to know why? Uh-huh. Because the tail. Because it moves. Over. Yeah. Yeah. You're weird. So anyways, um, the list of jobs he had around that time include, he was a designer for an airplane manufacturer. With no degree to do that. Okay. Yeah. You know, that doesn't make me feel very fucking safe right there. I know, right? I kind of want somebody to have a degree in aeronautics or engineering or something. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. He was an illustrator for a patent company. Okay. He was a well-regarded carpenter. Still would like if he had like maybe some like, hey, I worked for Bob's Carpentry for 20 years or 10 or two minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, apparently, he collected wine bottles with aspirations to start his own winery. He made a baseball bat with a lathe. He, he made baseball bats with a lathe he had purchased. He collected old movie posters and got autographs from stars performing at the Venetian Room at the Fairmont Hotel. Oh, okay. Yeah. And on a whim, he even went to a Mexican border town and became a bullfighter. The posters actually read, Senor Albright from Dallas. Toro! Yeah. Ole. Ole. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Apparently, he went to go visit a friend one day who worked at a beauty salon and... After visiting her there, he swiftly went to beauty school where he received a beautician's license. And they went and without any experience convinced the salon to hire him as a stylist. And he began. This is like a ninja, man. He began by Mr. Charles and was known to spend a minimum of 60 minutes on each woman in order to make her hair perfect. Did he do a good job? Uh, Apparently they didn't say anything else. So, okay, you know, while he is a serial killer and a maniac and all that good stuff, uh, he had many real talents. I mean, think about it. Yeah. He didn't have the degrees, but he could name every... Yeah, it was like he was a jack of all trades, but a king of none. Right. So he really knew his shit. I can't really... I'm not going to fault him for forging the degrees. Although... I worked okay. hard for mine. I was going to say, you of all people, you worked I, hard for yours. I worked really hard to get... All three of mine. I can't take you seriously right now. <laughs> you like the hat? I do. Um, I wouldn't have got it if I didn't like it, but I can't take you seriously. If I could have my assistant or the uh, the intern take a picture of me right now with the hat, that would be fantastic. But um, yeah. he he sounded like he knew his stuff. And that's, yeah. that's the whole purpose and of having a degree. brilliant. Right. So uh, I don't know. I I'm kind of torn because, like I said, I, I worked really hard on mine, and he didn't. But maybe he knows his shit better than I knew my shit before I went to college. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I just, I mean, then it goes, I mean, then it kind of skips ahead to kind of more of his adult life. In 1975, he vacates a, what he calls a loveless marriage to Betty. And afterward, he quickly develops prominence as a regular ladies' man. The women he dated viewed him as a great, charming figure. They could count on him to shower them with gifts and over-the-top romantic gestures and never making a sexual advance towards any of them with until she made the first move 
Or so he claimed. I was going to make a Leon Phelps joke, but uh, apparently he's not that kind of ladies' man. No, he wasn't that ladies' man. Was your daddy a meat burglar? <laughs> yeah, right? And in 85, he met and fell in love with a beautiful yet timid widow by the name of Dixie Austin on a trip to Arkansas. He would later say, she would later say that sex with him was gentle and very satisfying. And he never asked her to do anything that could be considered perverse. And he never even talked dirty to her. And the idea of him having an affair was absolutely ludicrous. I want to know, and it's not just me being a smartass. What would they consider perverse yeah. back then? Because Yeah, kind of me too. But this is in the 80s, so. Well, still, because perverse now has a pretty, it's broad. Yeah, it's pretty broad. Like if somebody came at me and said, I want to put a weed whacker up your butthole, that's perverse. Not yes. going to happen. Yeah. You know, but if somebody said, hey, I may, maybe I want to spank your bottom, I'd be like, Look, that's not perverse. That's pretty fucking normal. Yeah. You know, okay. And dirty talk. That's normal, and, too. And, and dirty talk. That's what I don't understand. So um, what most people didn't know that was by 1985, he was actually leading somewhat of a double life. Well, there you go. He's yeah. He hid creepy. this second life quite skillfully from all who knew him. He had become quite a quite versed as a regular in the Dallas, Dallas area prostitution districts. Uh, to some of the prostitutes, he was just a regular trick, yet to others, he was a real sugar daddy. Susan Peterson, one of his regular prostitutes, listed him as her co-signer on bond applications when she had to bail out of jail, and she even once even listed him as her best friend in an event she jumped bail. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He was friends with Mary Pratt even before she became a prostitute. He had a brief fling with one of her female friends bringing them both to his place for parties. And when she started turning tricks, he became one of her regular customers. She thought of him as a good trick who was always willing to pay a bit more than the others. Damn. Yeah. And, I mean, it goes on. He had a standing Friday afternoon appointment because he, he would visit all of his prostitutes in the, in the daytime when his wife or his common-law wife was at work. Okay. Well, that makes everything. sense. Yeah. So he would have an appointment with this married woman who would uh, walk the streets after her husband and went to work and her kids were in school. But by late 1987, she had to end things when he became more and more aggressive. And the last time was when he asked her to beat him as she would spank him like a bad child. You got to pay extra for that, too. Just saying. Well, it makes you wonder... You know, because it goes back to your theory that maybe his mama touched him. Uh, no, exactly. Because she would spank him like a bad child. With everything going on and the way the mom yeah. was, while it may not have said that in any research, I think maybe Oedipus Complex, at bare minimum, a slight Oedipus Complex. At, sli at bare minimum. Uh-huh. Yeah. But apparently his life spun out, started to spin out of control when his parents died. Oh, uh, Yeah, his mom wasn't around to keep an eye on him anymore, and... So the rep repressed part of him was finally free because his mom died of cancer in 1981, but they weren't as close in her final years. She was disappointed in the way his life turned out, and he found her to be irritating. Okay. Yeah. So um, there was an incident in the late summer and early autumn months of 1990, right before the killings began. Um, he was always known as such a very, like, laid-back kind of a guy, didn't like confrontation, 
and he, and he played on a baseball team and everything. Um, well, actually, three of them. Um, but he also took a job as a newspaper deliverer um, for the Dallas Times Herald in the middle of the night. His common law wife Dixie wasn't thrilled about this because she felt she wouldn't be able to sleep good at night if he wasn't there. But he assured her, "I'm going to hit you." <laughs> He's playing with this hat, trying to distract me. Um, our, our intern took a couple of pictures that we're going to post. Okay, good. But thinking hat. Yeah, so he explained to her that it was it was so he could have a little extra spending money. And he already, because um, he'd already blown through his $96,000 inheritance in a matter of four years. $96,000 in four years. I can't imagine. Yeah, that's a chunk of change for yeah. four years. So he would be gone, and he told her he'd be gone and back between 3 and 6.15 a.m., give or take, and in bed before she even realized he had left. And so she reluctantly agreed to this because he needed the extra money to pay for his softball trips. Because at 57, he was still rather physically fit, and he was considered one of the best players in the local senior slow-pitch softball league. He played on a day team, a night team, and he was chosen as an outfielder to go to Arizona on the local all-star team in the Senior World Series. So he had to pay for all this. Okay. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. Yeah. So um, <laughs> apparently they, um, there was an incident that happened that um, was completely out of character for him. He never, ever seemed to get upset. And it, well, at least not to anybody whoever who knew him really saw him get upset. Um, if there was ever a disagreement between him and an opposing player, which happens from time to time, I mean, sports are sports, he would always concede the point, almost as he, if he were afraid to get into the argument with people. Well, you know, maybe it's... He didn't want to argue with stupid. It that happens could to be me. too. That could have been it right there. If he if he viewed him because he views he's himself like devil's advocate. I I am only uh, only because of this right here. I'm thinking about how he views himself. He he views himself as really intelligent, right? Very. So if he if somebody else is arguing with him, if he thinks he's like way up here, yeah, and they're down here, yeah, so below him, he might just go, you know what, you're right, and walk away. But no, thinking to himself, hey, I'm right. Yeah, that's all there is to it. Right. Well, apparently the incident in question happened after a game when some players from his day team um, in my mouth. were just, huh? I had hair in my mouth. I didn't know how oh. had hair. They were just hanging. I don't have anything to say about that. We're hanging around shooting the shit, right? And at one point, a car drove by slowly that had two women in it. Um, the men laughed about them saying that they must be hookers. When someone shouted, hey, Charlie, you're single. Why don't you take after them whores? To which he replied in total seriousness, hell, I'd kill them if I could. As he scowled darkly. And they'd never seen the sight of him. Holy so, shit. So trying to keep the conversation light because everyone was stunned by what he had said. The one guy goes, we've got to have whores. It keeps men from chasing married women. And he told him that the whole subject was just a touchy one with him since his mother was a prostitute. Now, it's the first any anyone had seen any sort of angry reaction from him. And he didn't mean his adoptive mom, Dell. He was referring to his biological mother. And later, when 
others, including an FBI agent and the private investigator from his legal team, try to corroborate that story? They couldn't. His biological father couldn't be located. Um, and apparently his biological mom had been a nurse. Uh, and records show that she had lived in Wichita Falls until she passed away. And she may not have been the leak bright law student that his adopted mom claimed she was, but it's not like she was a hooker either. Well, and here's the thing. I don't know why he has something against hookers because wasn't he visiting hookers? That You just said he Oh, yeah, went to I'll hookers. get into that in a minute. So why would you go, hey, I'm kind of in love with this hooker, whatever the hell her name was, and all of a sudden, no, I'd kill him? What the fuck? Yeah. Well, and see, what gets what got a bunch of people about that whole situation is um, in in court when it was brought up again, his relatives claims that when he was finally able to locate his birth mother, he was elated to find her. He even went to Wichita Falls to visit her on several occasions, taking her gifts and introducing her to his his dad, Fred, and his daughter. And he would have gone through would he have gone through that effort? If she were a prostitute that he claimed that he just wanted to kill him. Right. I don't know exactly, you know. Right. So no matter what the actual fact is, in his reality, a connection between a prostitute and motherhood had been established, apparently. I can't even see how, but everybody's mind works different, uh, you know. So Yeah, but no, they equated it to a perverse version of the Madonna whore complex. Uh, which can be explained. I mean, and I, I found a website that explained it really well. Maybe, but it just it sounds like that's a far fucking stretch. But a perverse version of it, though. I mean, in his mind, <sighs> we don't know how his mind works. Yeah, I don't. That's that he he views because he had the dichotomy there of Dell, his adoptive mom, being almost perfect. Right. And then in his mind, somehow his birth mother wasn't, and he equated that to being a whore. Imperfect. You can twist anything to fit a mold, but I think that that is a far stretch. Pretty far. Even if you say, okay, well, it's a perverted version. We can say that, you know, that an egg is a perverted version of a dinosaur. Exactly. And that's that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Like, seriously, like we're going to really stretch for a diagnosis. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's a reach. Yeah. Well, the first murder, now we're going to skip to the murders. The first murder took place in 1990, December of 1990. Uh, Victim number one, um, they described her as a large woman, but then said she was only about 156 pounds. So to me, that's average. Giant women that weigh 156 pounds. But apparently she was nearly naked, wearing just a T-shirt and bra, but exposing her breasts. So her T-shirt and bra were pushed up over her breasts. And her body was discovered in an underdeveloped lower class neighborhood of South Dallas. And th- when they found her, her eyes were closed. Her face and bosom were severely bruised, which made it obvious she had been beaten and she had been shot in the head with a 44 caliber. Okay, the guy who found her was so shocked by her appearance that he ran home and grabbed a bed sheet and covered her up with it. Well, that's decent of him. Yeah. Which you're not supposed to do, but I could see why he would. Right. Well, I can, yeah, I was going to say, maybe, because we, we don't know how it affected him in situ. Right. You know, uh, see, seeing the body in situ. Um, so it could have been, I want to be respectful of this body. Right, exactly. You know, not thinking I'm disturbing a crime scene. Right. And destroying evidence. Right. Well, check this out. When the police arrived, one of them recognized her as being Mary Pratt, a 33-year-old well-known hooker who... Wait a minute. 
Yeah. Yeah, he was seeing her, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay, I made the connection correctly. Wow. Yeah, okay. he, she operated out of the Star on. Motel. And it wasn't strange that a whore of Oak Cliff, as the locals referred to them, local cops referred to them, would be beaten. Uh, they received regular calls about, you know, them getting assaulted. Uh, what was strange was that one of them was dead. Okay. Um, let's see. I lost my place. Okay. Um, the detective who caught this murder investigation was John Westphalen. And he was at the Dallas Police Department. And apparently he was a no-nonsense detective who some of the DAs complained about due to his rough um, interrogation tech procedures. But he would also be the one to, like, get the job done. Oh, excuse me. I had a yawn. I apologize. Anyways, so when he saw the file, he knew that solving this case would be more about luck and not so much about old-fashioned detective work because um, his re- her killing was refer- what detective refers to as a, a dumped body case. And they're the hardest to solve because it's very clear she wasn't, she was found, she wasn't murdered where she was dumped, okay? Um, They had no witnesses at all for either the murder or the dump, and there was no murder weapon. Most of all, there was only a minimal amount of forensic evidence and absolutely no fingerprints. Not to mention there was no clear motive. When he considered the type of people who frequented the Star Motel, any one of them could be the killer. You know, well, all, no. any John could have been the killer. Uh, yeah, well, you got to think about it. You know, I mean, there's the way that TV shows like CSI present things, NCIS, but then there's the, the there's the real world. Yeah. So you have a hooker. She's seeing multiple clients. Yeah. It could be a number of clients that she sees regularly or somebody she's only seen once or twice or a perfect fucking stranger that just all of a sudden said, I hate hookers. This is a exactly. hooker. I'm going to kill it. Exactly. So that limits your suspect uh, you know, profile down to, oh, every male on the planet. Every man, male in the Dallas area. Right. Yeah. So him and his partner went to the medical examiner's office to oversee the autopsy, which, is, which was routine. It's procedure. Um, they pretty much just figured the cause of death was the bullet to the brain, obviously. And when they arrived, the um, examiner began her investigation. She took notice of the track marks that were on Mary's arms because she was a known a addict. Yeah. The tattoo on her chest of the Playboy, Playboy bunny and the bullet hole in her head. She then opened up first one eye and then the other. And she asked the officers to step forward and take a look because both eyeballs, tissue and all, were missing. Hmm. They'd been removed so meticulously, neither of our eyelids were damaged. And the killer wasn't likely to be someone, the killer wasn't likely to be someone in the medical profession because this wasn't a procedure one would learn in medical school. Well, I'm pretty sure it's one that somebody would learn by taking birds' eyeballs out yeah. this this, this person who did this knew how to slide the knife around the eye with exact precision so as not to harm the connected skin. Then they had to slice six major muscles that hold your eye in place in the socket. And finally, they had to sever the strong optical nerve. All this making it impossible to tell they were missing with the eyes closed. Oh, my God. Yeah, isn't that creepy? 
I, I, I'm kind of torn between creepy and amazed because that's some precision. But he practiced on birds. Yeah. And birds have way smaller eyes than people's. Yeah. They they came to the conclusion, though, that whoever did this practiced extensively on something or someone else before. Yeah. So, but this is this is what got me, too, is immediately the detective contacted the FBI, the unit of the FBI's Violent Crimes Apprehension Program, which keeps a computerized file on the most inconvenient. And in, in, yeah, inconventional. I can't read my own writing sometimes. Unconventional. Unconventional. Thank you. Vile mutilations that are on record, such as dismembered bodies, missing organs, punctured eyes caused by frenzies attacks. And the agent he spoke to said there was absolutely no listing of, of a procedural cutting with that level of precision in any of their records. Well, yeah, because most serial killers aren't, like, surgeons. Yeah. And I guess uh, the detective said he couldn't help himself when he heard this. He says, what kind of a person would want her eyes? Maybe he was singing, I only have eyes for you. You turn my brown eyes blue? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no. Maybe. Yeah. So, anyways, this is what gets me. And, I mean... There was an incident when um, they kept all this information, the thing about her eyes, out of the press. Well, it's a good call because you're, yeah. you know, if you can get somebody to admit to that. Then you, or you're golden. It, you're gold. Yeah. yeah. Wow, how would you know exactly, that, Exactly. Exactly. So there were two officers who worked the, um, basically, it's called the whore beat. Okay. Um, they were, it was a special beat that was developed so that they could have officers on the street to develop relationships with the merchants and the community members and everything, you know, which right. some of them figured a lot of officers were like, Oh, this isn't a good beat at all. This is just a public relations post basically. Um, anyways. So while they were these two officers, one was officer Matthews and the other one was officer Smith while they were working that current beat. Um, Oh, they they even had uh, she was adept at talking to the prostitutes. She she wanted to talk to them. She had hopes of improving their lives. I'm going to hit you. I'm trying to be serious, Scott. Um, She even had what she referred to as a hook book. It was an album containing the mugshots of hookers she encountered, you know, and everybody's got to have a collection, man. Yeah, right? No. So that morning when her and her partner pulled the cruiser next to a lady by the a hooker by the name of Veronica Rodriguez, this 26-year-old unabashed prostitute known to try to flag down Johns even when the police were out in force, she stopped Girl's the car. Girl's got to make money, man. Yeah. She st- when they stopped the car, she was like, they were looking at her and they go, what happened to your head? Because they noticed that she had a gash in her forehead and like a slice on her neck. And she says, don't arrest me. I almost got killed. Holy shit. So she tells them about um, how a couple of days before, or the day night before, she was with this John, and he tried to take her out to South Dallas and rape her and everything and tried to kill her, and she got away. And she ran to this house that she just happened to know the guy there when he opened the door. But the most bizarre part is he knew the guy that was trying to kill her. And so... And so, you know, there was that whole thing, but they didn't believe her because she was known to tell tales and they thought that she was just trying to make up a story. 
Gee, Christmas. I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> They're going to be featuring me next week. Um, let's see. Oh, and then two days later, they drove past the Star Motel again and noticed this girl in the cab of a semi with a balding middle-aged white man. Um, Officer Matthews got her out of the truck and escorted her to the squad car and Officer Smith went to talk to the driver. She ran his license and noted his name was Axton Schindler and his address. It sounds like a German name. Are we going down a Nazi trail no, here? No, we're not. There's, you know, I talked to my friend Klaus, and I thought that she no. was a Jew like type of thing. Yeah, no. But um, apparently, as Officer Smith is talking to this guy, Veronica turns around and shouts, Don't arrest him. That's the man that saved me from the killer. That's him. Oh, shit, okay. But he says he didn't know what the hell she's talking about, that he just has known her for a while and gave her a ride back to the hotel. Hmm. Yeah, keep this in mind, okay? So now we're going to go to the second killing. The second body was found February of 1991. Okay? She was discovered on the same South Dallas road that Mary was found, and like Mary, she was practically nude and a known prostitute. She was identified as 27-year-old Susan Peterson. She had been shot in the head, chest, and abdomen, and her eyes were closed. Oh. Yeah. Practicing his skill. Yep. Her body was discovered at the other end of the road, so she fell under county jurisdiction. Okay? So the county detective who caught the case um, didn't know about Mary's murder. You know, because she was city, he's county. Right. And so he f- went with the body to the autopsy and everything. And the same thing happened. The path, you know, pathologist did the preliminary thing, opened up both eyes, asked the detective to come over, and they realized ain't got no eyeballs. Okay. Right. So the pathologist told him about Mary's case. For the city that the city had. Okay, I, I was just going to ask if they use the same pathologist. Yeah, well, they use the same pathologist. You know, it wasn't the same one that performed it, but yeah. Well, I mean, the the, the same facility. Yeah, the like, same they facility. Didn't have a separate uh, yeah. pathology lab. So within 24 hours, he met up with the detectives from the city, and they uh, they took care to avoid phrases like serial killer well, to yeah. describe the murder because they didn't have three yet. <laughs> Um, but they knew what they were hunting, a twisted, intelligent murderer dr- dropping bodies on quiet streets, almost guaranteeing that they're dis- they would be discovered in the morning. Well, definitely. He's not trying to hide them. Yeah. He's, he's leaving them out in the open. He's the, he, what's called displaying them. Exactly. He is. He was totally displaying them. Um, but the detectives wanted to keep the story out of the press because they wanted to avoid putting the attention on the Star Motel and potentially scaring um, the, un- the unidentified subject or unsub off of, the hu- off of hunting, you know, in a diff- off to hunt in different areas. Okay, so he's hunting in different areas? Yes. Or is he still in Dallas? I don't know, dude. What are you doing? Nothing. Just asking questions. There's no puppet show going on over here. I thought you were trying to have me do something i'm like i don't understand no no i'm, I'm making okay. hand gestures that are just being a smart he ass. is he is he's trying to distract me um so the sub the supervisors though felt the department had an obligation to warn the community of the potential danger even if the 
community consisted of what some people would call low price hookers. Okay, so the officers went and posted up signs all over the Star Motel, and they talked to the media. And so even though they didn't mention the eyeballs in any media reports, one um, reporter was handed, was actually told from an officer, which I'd hate to have been that officer, that mutilations, brutal mutilations had been done to these people's faces. Okay, well, face is one thing, but... But still, it's like he let that little bit slip, and, you know, so, you know, so it goes on, and so they're doing all this, and then they come upon a third prostitute who Boom. dies There's in your trifecta. March of 1991. But get this. Um, where is it? Oh, before they discovered her body, though... The officer, Detective Phelan, was saying, you know what? We have to ask ourselves three questions. One, why is he targeting prostitutes? Why were both um, bodies dumped in the same location? And why were their eyes removed? Very legit questions, yeah. Exactly. So the detectives were actually sitting in what they call the war room, and they were throwing around theories. One was perhaps a prostitute had given him AIDS and he wanted a type of revenge. Now, this was during the, the 80s, right? Yeah. So AIDS is No, like, 90s, early 90s. Early, well, still, you have the AIDS virus is still pretty rampant. Rampant. Yeah. yeah. This is and before. Unknown still. Right. Kind of. Just to catch people up who aren't in their 40s. Um, when HIV and AIDS first came on the scene, there were no suppressant drugs. There were none. There were. If you, if, if you got. HIV or AIDS, that was a death sentence. You're done. Pretty much, yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that was a great, great fear at the time. So, yeah. And, and it's a legit thing to ask, though. Like, yeah. did a hooker give him AIDS? Okay, yeah. if that's true, let's find out kind of what's happening with that. So then they also started throwing around theories about the eyeballs. Um, one, one, you know, maybe he believed that the... No- the notion of a killer's image remained on the eyes of their victim after death. Uh, maybe he thought the dead person's eyes followed him forever. Uh, was he killing? Was he trying to fulfill a sexual fantasy? Windows are the eyes of the soul and taking the soul. Right. Away. They're, was they're... he cooking them and eating them? Was he just a crazy doctor? I mean, these are all the theories that were thrown out there. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the, there's a million reasons why it could yeah, be happening. Exactly. So, in the early morning hours of March 19th, the unsub changed tactics. At another whore hangout, just a few miles from the star, Shirley Williams, a black prostitute, walked out of the Avalon Motel, and another hooker witnessed her wearing jeans and a yellow raincoat, and appeared to be rather high as she walked down the street. Um, her body was discovered at 6.20 on March 20th on a residential street less than a block from an elementary school. And as the kids went to school that morning, they saw the naked Shirley slumped against the curb. And she had an unopened condom near her and her body, near her body. And all Westphalen, the detective says, is go look at her eyes and tell me if they're there. And the medical examiner's field agent checked and told him they were gone they knew they had victim number three but here okay so here's kind of what i'm wondering is why that kind of escalation meaning that he he left it 
in plain view in a in a neighborhood of children. So now we're taking right. we're taking all the you know th- this is an adult thing going on, and we're involving at least the uh, because only because. He's not stupid. He knows he's what he's not. doing. So it's, it's not like we're dealing with some of the serial killers that, you know, maybe their IQ is lower than normal. Uh, right. Good example, that's like Ed Gein. No, this guy, like, has Ted Bundy IQ. Yeah, this guy's smart. He, I have a feeling like everything he does is very intentional. Yeah. I want to know why that body. Well, see, and this is, is what gets me, too, is apparently they saying during her autopsy, it, her autopsy indicated, um... The eye removal was rushed. This time they found the broken tip of an X-Acto knife um, stuck in the flesh by her right eye. And however, there was still no witnesses, murder weapon, or fingerprints. But the worst part is he targeted a black woman and moved locations. Yeah, I was going to say because I was just going to bring up the the, the racial profile too. Mm -hmm. Because normally, from what I understand of serial killers, if... If they're mostly targeting hookers. Right. Okay, usually it's a specific type. Right. And to jump races like that is pretty peculiar. Yeah, and you know, and even when the cops were warning these prostitutes saying, you know, there's there's a killer out here, be careful, blah blah blah. The black prostitutes even said, Girl, he don't want us. He's he's after the white girls. Right. We'll probably get more business now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so when word of her murder spread, the Star Motel was practically vacant. And some of the hookers told the officers they were leaving Dallas. And some even said they were done hooking. Um, While they were patrolling the area, the officer Matthews and Smith came across a girl who she was known. Her name was Brenda White. And she was a 17-year-old experienced black prostitute. And she usually worked alone. And everything. So they went to be like, hey, you know, there's a killer out, you know, be careful. And that's when she told them that a white man, she had to mace a white guy a couple days before. And she described him perfectly, you know, everything. So they were like, you know what? We maybe there's more to this Veronica story than what we gave her credit for. So they went back to this. They went to the county officer station to do another check on that uh schindler guy so i was just saying veronica's the one that said hey i got away from the yeah and that schindler was the one that saved gotcha 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 right so but the only name they had was schindler's oh okay okay so they went to the county place and they found an officer that was willing to help them and these mind you these are the two beat cops they're not the detectives right right so they go in and they run his name we'll come to find out that um he had, they ran his name and his address came up in Oak Cliff, which is that suburb of Dallas, not in South Dallas. And they're like, wait, she said he was at a house in South Dallas. Right. Right. Well, then they did some further checking. He put in some more codes and come up that the owner of the house for his address was Fred Albright. <laughs> okay. Come to find out, I mean, long story short, basically, is this Schindler rented the house in South Dallas from Charles Albright, and he kept all the properties in his dad's name. Gotcha. Okay? So, there's that. 
And then as they're running it, they thought, okay, so they did another check and they realized, okay, Fred Albright's dead. And they thought it was a dead end. Then all of a sudden the detective goes, I wonder if this has anything to do with Charles Albright. And they're looking at him like, what do you mean? And apparently right after Mary was murdered, he got a call. He was working early one morning and got a call from somebody that said that she was friends with Mary and asked them to look into Charles Albright because she knew he had an exacto blade collection in his house and he was really oh. weird. He, she was the chick that he had dated for a while. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah, precisely. So they ended up, they took all this information back to the detective, right? Right, right. And so the detective, like, you know, at first they were like, how are we going to word this? We're just two beat cops and we're going to go to a detective and tell them this, you know, <laughs> that's like stepping on toes. And so they sat him down. They were telling him, he goes, you know what? You might be onto something. So he got a like a photo lineup and said, go talk to Brenda, you know, see what she says. And as soon as they pulled up and saw her, they said, hey, take a look but at these. She didn't... Is Brenda the black? young? Yeah, the 17 young 17 year old. Year old. Okay. Yeah. The one that said she had to mace somebody. Gotcha. Okay. I'm, I'm just, I was trying to catch up in my mind. Yeah, no. So many names. Exactly. So they took the photo lineup to her and she didn't even hesitate. As soon as they handed her the photo, she goes, it's him right there. Oh. And pointed to Charles. Damn. So then they took the picture to Veronica and she was looking at them. And when she, her eyes scanned over Charles's photo, she like was visibly shaken. They said she started to tremble. And then she's like, no, I don't know any of these. Holy shit. Okay. So. They were like, so they called the detective and everything, and he told her to bring, he told them to bring her down. So he brought her down, and I guess he was trying to talk to her, and she's like, I don't know anything, I didn't see anything, nothing happened to me, you know. And then he's like, you know what, he's killing hookers. Right. You know, and he's brutalizing them. You are not safe. If you help me get him off the streets, you will be safe again. Well, he's safer. Yeah. And so she looked at the photos again. Took his picture, signed the back, IDing him as the guy. So they went and they got a warrant and they searched his house and they took him in and everything. And the whole time he's silent, he hasn't said a word. Okay. They go to court and it's all circumstantial evidence. All they have on him is circumstantial evidence. They did a search, they searched his residence that where they picked him up six times. They searched all his other properties multiple times. Couldn't find anything. You look shocked, but I keep on telling, telling you, and I'll tell everybody out there, the man's not stupid. Yeah, no. You think he's going to leave some evidence to be found? No. This guy's thorough. He plans but things But what do you out. do with the eyeballs? I don't know. Yeah, I'm, they never found the eyeballs. I thought you were going to end up telling us where the eyeballs were. No, they never found this them. This guy's meticulous. This guy knows what he's doing, and yeah. he uh, he's not going to leave. DNA evidence. He's not going to leave fiber. He's not going to leave a whole lot of goddamn nothing. The man plans it. We're talking a guy who planned it out so well that he revisited a college three different times at three different departments to forge That's true. his degrees. That's true. That's not an impulse thing. This takes planning. Yeah. That's true. That's true. This is true. But check this out. By the time his trial rolled around, Veronica ended up testing, testifying on his behalf. What? Yeah, the one that he supposedly tried to kill in the field that one day? Yeah. Tried to testify, started testifying in his behalf, saying that she was coerced to make that ID. And... It's a possibility. Coincidentally, Schindler disappeared a week before the trial started. Wonder where his eyeballs are. 
Yeah, pretty much. And get this. I mean, it gets weirder and weirder. So the only thing he was convicted on was hair. And hair is not as precise as fingerprints because it doesn't have that distinct, you know what I mean? You can do right. similar hair types, but you can't do exact hair matches. Well, un- unless you have the uh, uh, the bottom of it. It's not the root. It's the... Uh, the follicle. It's not, is it the follicle? Yeah. That, that little tab at but the that, end? But this is the early 90s. This is before DNA. Oh, that's right. That's before, well, DNA was just starting to come yeah. to the surface. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, so that's what he was convicted on, and he got life sentences. Now... This is my question for you. One, do you believe he acted alone? Because I believe he was involved. I believe that wholeheartedly. Or two, do you think that maybe Schindler was involved as well? I think Schindler was involved. I think so too. Very much so because, okay, so we're, we're talking hookers, right? Yes, from what I understand of hookers, and this isn't like, you know, if I knew anything about the marijuana's joke that I always say, really don't know much about hookers. Okay. It's a rough life. Yes. Okay. So there's always that threat of danger. There's always times when you have to fend off uh, someone who's aggressive. Right. Okay. So with that, these ladies have skills. Right. To defend themselves. Right. And they said that Susan herself was so well known to be a tough hooker you know that if one of the other prostitutes came close to her corner she was like get away from me you know this is my area and she would she would it would have had to have been somebody she knew or they wouldn't have gotten the jump on her well more than that more than what you've said is what you didn't say okay what i didn't say. ah i like that look hey i'm curious as to what i didn't say because I left some of it out because we were getting too long. And it was, to me, it was like a lot of filler. You didn't say anything about when, around that time when they went to go and investigate Albright, that he had any marks on his body, scratches. They didn't say that. Cuts, bruises. How about an abrasion? A skin knee? Anything like that? No, they didn't. So there's two pieces of information that. That, that, that ring out of my head. Number one is the the black hooker that died, and she looked like she was high. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she's probably drugged. Right. And number two, that you never said, and no, apparently nobody's mentioned that Albright had any had any uh, wounds from somebody trying to defend themselves. Right. So that's where because even I if think the he first had to have two knew him. And everything, and he, like, did something before they could react to him. The third one didn't know him. He had no history with her. Right, but... So you would think she would at least try to fight back. But here's... Well, here's the thing, though. Here's the other thing. What you didn't say. Yeah, that's true. The first two that knew him, you didn't... They didn't say anything about ligature marks. That's true, too. Were they tied up? Were they restrained? Yeah, they didn't say any because of that either. you and I know each other really good, but if you say, hey, Scott, I want to take you up the road here, and then things start going awry, yeah. I'm going to defend myself. That's true, too. You know? So, I don't know if they could have yeah, because looked for chemicals in, the, in her bloodstream, right? Um, anesthetics, anything like that, but right. there had to be someone else involved. You're talking about women who've developed skills because of their lifestyle and their their trade. This is true. That um, I don't think that one person, even if they knew him, 
would have let him get the jump on him like that. Exactly. Because yeah. and this is just from, like I said, what I understand of, and if you're a hooker, please send us an email because I got questions. Yeah. Like legit. I didn't mean like send me an email because I'm a client. No. Um, I got I got questions because, you know, you can. We want to know logistics. Yeah. And you can, you can educate me. So, okay. You're a hooker. Okay. Hypothetically. Don't give me that look. I'm not calling you a hooker. And you see me consistently once a week. Yeah, two or three times a week, and you've taken care of me. You're my you. You've given me money when I've needed it, whether I service you or not. Right. Yeah. So we're good, right? Yeah. You're gonna notice though little behavioral changes. Oh yeah. And that is one thing that they didn't say because well, there's no way for them to say that. But uh, you know, if if you're intending on killing somebody, how calm can you stay? Yeah, that's true too. Maybe that's well, true too. And we we're talking about one one of the prostitutes that had that was a junkie. She was an IV drug user because she had track marks right. on her arm. Maybe Mister Albright said, "Hey, let me fix you up. Yeah, I got something good, good, good for you." And yeah. boom, she's done. Now think about it. Now she's knocked out. Oh yeah, you he can, can do, do whatever, whatever the fuck he wants. you want. Yeah, and there's no way for her to defend herself, so you're not going to have any wounds. Yeah, and most importantly, with her knocked completely out, you have the one thing you can't buy: time. That's true too. You have enough time, right? Because take that body. Well, and they never found any blood evidence at any of his properties. None of that, which would have been because a he shot him with a forty four, and b he cut out their eyeballs. Right. So there's a lot of blood loss. Yeah. And so, I mean, so, but the, the only reason why I brought that up is because it was mentioned in some of the things that I had read that he basically was the scapegoat. That he either kind of what it sounds he like could have me. been present and helped remove the eyes, but they don't think that he was the actual one to do it. That's why I'm thinking he probably had, it was uh, the, the dude yeah. who sounds German. What was his name? Lichtenstein or whatever? Axton Schindler. Yeah, that's it. Like a little a Schindler's truck driver. List. Little Schindler's. Oh, yeah. That's a truck driver. Mate. Do you know be, him? No, I'm just kidding. He's got to be a serial killer. Yeah, definitely. Right? No, those are pretty popular. <laughs> well, no, that's true, man. Truck drivers. But, um, yeah, so that that was just the whole thing is like, because, I mean, I and I chose him, A, because the eyeball thing kind of freaked me out. The eyeball thing is pretty freaky. But at the same time, it's like it left that whole question because he still, I mean, he maintained silence. He didn't say anything like, no, it wasn't me. No, it was somebody else. He just remained silent. Which was the next thing I was going to bring up. See, because I don't just listen to what you say. I think about what people don't say. Right. And that gives you a broader picture. Yeah. With him not screaming, hey, what the hell, guys? Yeah. You know, it's not me, blah, blah, blah. It tells me a couple different things. At least in my own head, I could be wrong. That maybe he's even afraid of, of Schindler. Of the person that, yeah. That they were actually a pair, a couple, and yeah. he was submissive. He was the submissive, and he was only there to, you know, A, he knew the prostitutes. Right. And B, you know, okay, since you helped me get this, I got my kill. You can have the eyes. Could be. It could be something that bizarre. Yeah. It could be that he wanted to act that out himself, but, you know, he really couldn't do it. But he didn't start killing earlier. Yeah. That's another thing. I mean, yeah, there's a the taxidermy thing, which is questionable, but that doesn't necessarily mean. Yeah. It, wasn't like, it didn't sound like he was torturing the animals no, or anything. No, none of that. And um, all of the girls he dated said that he was the epitome of gentlemen. So, uh, 
And even the prostitutes that he mm. frequented, some right, of them said that he didn't even want to have sex with them. He would just take them out for lunch or something. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... So it does. It leaves That's me a, wondering. It's too. a big jump. It's a huge, yeah, huge jump. He unfortunately died a couple of years ago. So you know, but at the same time, it's like I just it left a huge question in my mind. That's a lot of questions about this guy. Yeah, a lot. I can't say he's guilty or he's not. I can't either. Um, but I have reasonable doubt. I have very reasonable doubt because there's. If I were a jury of his peers, I would have reasonable doubt. So okay, while his childhood was bizarre. Yes. Okay. Uh, maybe it, it wasn't as... Um, and his adulthood wasn't squeaky clean either. Right. It's still, like, there wasn't... He wasn't beaten all the time. Which, not saying that everybody who gets beaten becomes a no. circle. There, no there was no molestation that we know of. Although, like I said, the relationship between him and his mom... Yeah, kind of odd. A little odd. But you would think that that would have been acted out or acted upon or some of it would have come out in a negative way. Right. Throughout, before he was, what, 50? Yeah. Before he was 50 years old. like Almost 60. Yeah, so there's got to be some girlfriends or something, at least one, that would step forward. Dude, I dated Charlie Albright. He was a freaky-ass motherfucker. He just kept wanting to, like, poke my eyes and shit. Right. And, uh, but no, there's none of that. None. Uh, yeah, I'm left thinking. I I do have reasonable doubt in my head, so I'm going to give this one a reasonable doubt. Yeah, I got to agree with that. So, but yeah, so he, like I said, he was convicted on the circumstantial hair evidence, and I think the dog's going freaky for the cat. Oh, that could be it. Yeah. So, but that's all I have on him. Do you all have right. anything? No, that's that's it. I'm I actually quite enjoyed this one. I did too. It was it, very informational. It was. That's it was a good story. All right, this has been Brutal Nation. I'm Scott Alexander. Right across from me is, once again, Tammy Underwood. This has been a Twisted Blue LLC production. Copyright 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. Feel free to send us your questions, thoughts, and comments at BrutalNation.cast at gmail.com. Check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com and check out the new podcasts that are popping up, such as the Scotty and Squatch Show. And there's some other ones that are in the works as well. And show us some love. We look forward to talking to you guys again. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.